Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, good morning, everyone. You can have a seat. Can we thank uh, my lovely wife, Jasmine, and uh, Marius for leading us through worship this morning? As she uh, mentioned, we're proud of you for, for being here. Uh, it kind of gives us an idea who is up late partying and who is not. Maybe halfway through my message, I'll have an even clearer idea who's tired and who's not. But we're going to party this morning too, right? It's cheesy, I know, but uh, we're kind of going to do that, I guess. Uh, but it's really great to be with you. Happy New Year. Uh, as I mentioned, it's special to be gathering this morning really on New Year's Day to begin the year this way. And we're so grateful that you're just uh, taking the time to be with us, especially when we know there's so many other places or other things that you could be doing this morning that you're here with us to kick off the new year. Uh, really just excited that we can set apart this morning of 2023 to worship together and to center ourselves on God. I'm just thankful as well for those who are joining us online, live, or um, maybe connecting later this week. Uh, one of the ways that we're prioritizing worshiping this, together this morning is by celebrating communion. And so if you are joining us online, uh, you can get a, a piece of bread or a, a cracker or juice or wine uh, ready for when we do that. And one of the things that's so special about worshiping together on New Year's Day is that it's an opportunity or a special moment to both look back and to reflect on the past year, as well as to look ahead, to the year ahead, and to try to do that with God at the center. Uh, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking about how many things and how many traditions in our world or in our culture try to help us with that in some way, either to prepare for the year ahead or to reflect on the past year, uh, that along with some of the weird traditions that we just have to celebrate the new year, whether that's to sing a weird Scottish Gaelic song or uh, to watch a ball drop in New York City, that many companies now actually try to find different ways to help us look back on the past year that, in ways that they think will be important to us. There are things like uh, Spotify's Wrapped, when you want to Spotify, Instagram now does this thing with recap reels, or there's all kinds of things that companies just come up with to help us, to give us photos or songs or memories to reflect on the past year. Uh, but one tradition I want to share with you that I find particularly interesting is Oxford's Word of the Year. Maybe you've seen it already, but every year around this time, Oxford Dictionary tries to release the word that they think best defines or captures the year that's just passed. And it's a word that's supposed to kind of represent or sum up how people felt over this past year. Uh, and this year was the first year, actually, that the word was voted on by the public. And the word that they decided on, I was going to kind of build this up for, uh, for effect, but we already have it on the screen, is goblin mode. Okay, can everybody just take a minute, let that settle in? Goblin mode. Oxford Dictionary. This is what they came up with. Now, I don't know if you can, anyone, anyone can guess uh, what goblin mode means without reading the description or uh, why they decided to actually use two words instead of one, but that's just besides the point. 
uh, or why they have to pick on goblins in the first place. But the word goblin mode is supposed to be defined as any behavior that's unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, or greedy. It's a behavior that's just being lazy or greedy or self-indulgent in some way without any thought or worries about the consequences or how that might affect other people or the repercussions of that. And that this word, they say, was chosen because many people in 2022 embraced this kind of behavior that's being seen as almost a response to just the stresses and the difficulties of everyday life this past year, especially as we moved out of a global pandemic. Now, I don't know how you feel about this word or behavior, whether you relate to it or not, whether you agree or disagree in some way, but if you had to just come up with your own word for how you would uh, describe what what 2022 was captured for you, what would that word be? If you had to come up with one word or a phrase that really captures the past year for you, what would that word be? Maybe your word or your phrase would be surprise, good or bad or new love, or big change, or maybe it would be a word like loneliness, or disappointment, or loss, or impatience, or frustration, sorry, somebody, somebody mentioned one, I think, frustration, uh, maybe over something that continues to be unresolved. I hear a few, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't actually hear them, but you can think about that a little bit. Maybe for you, it's a word actually that's completely unexpected or unanticipated. When you, when you started the year, you didn't think this was the, what the word would be. Maybe like me, you actually have several words that you think define the past year for you, depending on the season that you went through. And as we each think of the word or the phrase for this past year, I think for, uh, just for all of us, it's hard to know what to do with that as we think of the year that ahead. How are we supposed to reflect in a way that helps inform or defines our plans for the coming year? Are we supposed to just forget about the past year and then move on? But as we begin this year, as we think about what it means to kind of step in this year together, the Bible, in its wisdom, actually gives us a word, or more specifically, it gives us a phrase to think about and to reflect on that helps us not only reflect on this past year, but to plan well for the year ahead. And that phrase is that the good news has to grow. Think about that. It's a phrase maybe that captures a very important theme in the Bible around growth and maturity, and it's meant to really help us both reflect on the past year and to look ahead to what he's going to be doing in this coming year. And because this is such an important phrase or theme in the Bible, I've actually titled this message, How the Good News Grows. It's an important reminder for us as we head into this year of how easy it is to forget about something that we celebrated just week, one week ago, that we celebrated together at Christmas, and it's easy for us to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate the good news of Jesus, but then to just kind of move on and leave that all behind. But instead, the Bible invites us actually to live longer in the Christmas season that we're actually still in now, and to think and to reflect on how the good news of Jesus has to take root in us and has to grow in us in fresh and new ways this coming year as we learn to trust and to center our lives on God in deeper and more meaningful ways this coming year. Last week, if you were here on Christmas Day or you joined us online, you know Pastor Dom talked about how what God does at Christmas time and the good news of Jesus isn't about the Christmas spirit, but that it's something about much more than that or much deeper than that. And this week, as we start 2023 together, I want to talk about how this same good news of Jesus isn't just meant for one season or to celebrate one day, but that we need to take seriously what it means now to let that grow in each of us. 
Because it's easy to treat the Christmas season like this sort of high or moment of celebration that we just leave behind once we have to go back to the reality of everyday life that we don't think about until next December. Then now that it's over, we need to just turn the page and get back to thinking about maybe more serious things for this coming year. And this is really especially true for us if our understanding of Christianity and the Christmas season misses how the good news is actually supposed to ground us more in reality, more in our world in the first place. Because to let this good news grow, it means learning to trust that God is with us not just when things are sunny or magical or happy or exciting, but through moments that are hard or disappointing, disappointing or even painful. It means learning to trust God in moments or seasons even that we can never anticipate or never control through the ups and downs even of the year ahead. And as we turn to the Bible, the people in the Bible are also no strangers to learning to be shaped in worship in a way that helps them to trust in God and how his goodness and ways are growing in them, even during tough times or even when things don't go according to plan. One of the most important ways that they did this was by turning to the Psalms. Never heard of the Psalms before. They're a series of books in the middle of the Bible. That well, actually, a book. But the Psalms are a collection of poems and songs that the people in the Bible used for worship, and they help us to get get honest and give words to some of the、uh, kind of emotions and the depths of our human experience in ways that keep God at the center. And as we start 2023, I want to just share quickly a Psalm. That the people in the Bible turned to at different times, and particularly when they were actually、uh, preparing for a long or in the middle of a long journey. The psalm is Psalm 130, and、uh, you can read this, this whole thing on your own time this week. It really isn't too long,、uh, but I just want to read the first part of the first, middle, and last section of this psalm for you. I'll have it on the screen. Here's what it says From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry. O Lord, pay attention to my prayer. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. I think what's so beautiful about this psalm is that it doesn't hide from God or shy away from the difficulty or the painful reality of a current situation or even the depths of emotion that's being experienced along with that. But instead, it just lays it all out before God. And at the same time, it moves. It's a movement towards choosing to trust in God, even in those hard times, trusting that He's working in ways that can't always be seen and that His good news is growing. As you and I enter 2023 together, can we just start this year by committing to be shaped by this kind of worship that's here in this psalm, that's captured here? To choose to be shaped by a kind of worship that isn't about fake positivity or ignoring the difficult realities of our situation, but instead to choose to turn to God and to place our trust in Him right in the middle of that. To commit to letting His good news grow, even when things will come up this year that we'll have to face that we can't anticipate. And when things get tough, maybe a helpful way for you to start this year is just by praying the words of the psalm this week on your own time as a way of teaching or reminding yourself that God、uh, not only knows, but He cares about what's happening right in the very depths of your being, in the depths of your soul, that He cares about that. And then in the midst of that, He's also growing something new. 
As we think of just this morning what it means to worship God in a way that we give room for his good news to grow in us this year, we're going to live uh, this morning in the Christmas story a little bit longer. Because as I mentioned, the Christmas season actually isn't over yet. And that's why we have the, 12, the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, to remind us of that. And we're probably on like the, the, the rings right now or something, the fifth day, I don't know. Uh, but we're going to look at a young couple in the Christmas story after Christmas who's quickly going to have to learn that to trust in the good news of God is still growing even after things take a turn for the worst. And that couple is Mary and Joseph. There's a story we're going to look at in Matthew's gospel that's often shared leading up to Christmas, but it actually takes place after Jesus is already born, and it comes right after the visit of the Magi. Uh, If you were here, you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Dom shared a bit of the story of the Magi, and he reminded us of something that people often don't realize when they they read this story, that when the Magi visit, it's already about a year after Jesus is born. And you can go back and you can listen to that message, but this morning, we're going to continue that story, and what happens next, right after the Magi visit Jesus and give him their gifts, is completely unexpected. It's a part of the Christmas story that immediately pulls us out of the sentimentality or the good feelings of Christmas and stretches our understanding of what it means to experience the good news of Jesus. Because right after the visit with the Magi, Joseph and Mary find themselves on the run. Here's what happens next. It says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Wow. Talk about a turn for the worst right after Christmas. Can you imagine what Joseph must have been thinking in this moment? Especially after everything he's already gone through leading up to the son's birth. Not only did he have to trust that God that with Mary's pregnancy amidst warnings from friends and accusations and everything else he went through, let alone everything else that Mary went through, but now that this baby Jesus is finally here, as their waiting is over, as this ultimate sign of God's faithfulness, that God is with them, he's told now that they're in danger and they're forced to flee to the land of their enemy. I can just imagine in that moment all of Joseph and Mary's plans for the year going out the window. All the dreams they had for their young family, all the dreams maybe they had for their baby of how they were going to grow together, all their New Year's resolutions just went right out the window as they learned that they would be on the run for the foreseeable future, for they didn't know how long. Just imagine them having to wrestle with this realization that even though they have this growing baby, literally the good news of God in front of them, with them, they're forced to realize that it won't make their lives any easier. This is such a hard thing for us to get, maybe especially on New Year's. It's such a difficult story for after Christmas for us to enter into because we're tempted to think, or at least to wish, that the good news of Jesus will make our lives easier. It's so easy for us to treat Christianity as this gateway to happiness, that it will lead to a life of deeper security or a deeper sense of certainty and that it will eliminate any bad or pleasant, unpleasant surprises in our lives. And I think part of the reason why we're so wired to think this way is because how much we're shaped by our culture, particularly how much we're shaped by consumerism. In fact, uh, these couple weeks after Christmas, many of us, if we haven't already, will go back to the stores that we visited before Christmas because we were unhappy with at least one of the gifts that we either were received or that we gave to somebody else. In our yearly calendar of consumerism, this is the season of returns. 
Now, anybody can admit they've already done a return maybe this week, online or in person? No, nobody's going to admit it. I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you're probably going to. My family actually has already done like th- four returns this year, which is terrible because we didn't even really get each other many gifts. Uh, so I think because of that, I'm probably just going to give up next year and not get any gifts. Uh, but we've already done so many returns, and I'm actually, uh, I'm particularly really bad with returns, even outside of the Christmas season. I'll, I'm the type of person when I get something for myself, I'll just, I'll do lots of research, but then when I buy something, I know, like 90% sure that I'm going to return it. Keep the tag on, I'm going to, you know, and I'll give it like a trial period. But as soon as, it, as, soon as it's like uncomfortable or it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's the instructions aren't clear, or just didn't do what I expected it to do, in some way it didn't make my life's e- life easier, I'm j- I know I'm just going to return it. Maybe you kind of relate to that. But we're so shaped by a world where we can just return anything that doesn't make our lives more fun, or that doesn't make some aspects of our lives immediately better or easier in some way. And because stores and, and companies and marketers know this, they don't even bother making anything to last anymore, right? They, as long as it just gives us immediate results, they know that that's all that matters to us and will, will get us to hold on to it long enough that we won't return it. We're so shaped by this culture and this season of returns that it's even applied to same, to, to easy to apply the same criteria to God. We're tempted to think God is only working in our lives or God only cares about us when he's making our difficulties go away. That God is only there, or God is only blessing us when he's making our lives easier. And when this doesn't happen, or when hardships or difficult situations come, it's easy for us to doubt God and to be tempted to leave him behind. To be tempted to walk away maybe from our commitments to him or to other people, to the commitments that we've made for the year. To ignore him or to trade him in even, to replace him with something else. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, especially one that you didn't anticipate, how does that affect your relationship with God? How do you usually react? Are you tempted maybe to walk away from your commitments towards him or towards others? Are you tempted to maybe ignore him and to replace him with something else? The good news of Jesus, as we think about that this morning, isn't the kind of gift that we can just return once Christmas is over, once we go back to the reality of our everyday lives, or as soon as something gets difficult. It's not the kind of gift that's meant to make things easier. And in the story that comes after Christmas, Joseph and Mary are really a model for us of what it looks like to trust in God even when difficulties arise to trust that God is still with us and that his good news is still growing. And here's how Joseph responds to this news that him and his family have to change all their plans and suddenly flee from danger. Here's what it says. It says, That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Joseph and Mary model what it looks like to trust God even when it's painful and discouraging, to model perseverance and trust even when it's difficult or inconvenient or when the future isn't clear or when they're they're not told how long they'll have to wait or when they have to adjust to different plans. Joseph and Mary learn something that's such an important lesson for us today, that whenever the good news grows, it still comes with pain and with difficulty. But at the same time, it also grows in ways that we can't always see. 
and it takes root in ways that are surprising to us. This year, together, would we commit to just trusting God like Joseph and Mary? To stay committed and to pray and to be faithful even when we're forced to change plans or even when things get hard. For Joseph and Mary, even as they are learning to stay faithful and obedient and trusting God while living and navigating things on the run, what happens next will test their faith in the good news even more as things now move from bad to worse. What starts out as a difficult situation turns into a painful tragedy. And it happens because of someone in the story who doesn't want the good news to grow. Here's what happens next. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Just imagine Joseph and Mary hearing this news of what Herod has done while they're still trying to figure things out or they're still making sense of things in this new life in Egypt. To hear of this tragedy that just touches so many people all at once. And I think it's easy when we read this to think, well, they were just removed from this situation while they're in Egypt, but they're not removed from the pain of this moment. Likely, they even have many friends and family who are directly affected by what Herod does here. And this moment is a reminder that not only pain and difficulty, but real evil still exists even after the Christmas story. This is so hard for us to understand, I think. In fact, it's, it's really jarring and disturbing for me when I read this to realize that it's really part of the Christmas story, that it's right there. Like, why would Matthew include this at all? Wouldn't it be easier even to pretend this didn't happen? How is this included in a story that's supposed to be good news? I think this is the hardest part of the Christmas story for you and me to acknowledge, especially when we live in a world that, of positivity, where we have such a hard time knowing what to do even with pain and suffering. We don't really know how to talk about it, and we don't know how it fits in with our faith. But the Bible really doesn't give us an option to just stick maybe with a kind of band-aid Christianity that can be used as a crutch to avoid painful moments. So many of us make the mistake of thinking that as long as I'm faithful to God, as long as I'm obedient, then evil can't hurt me, that I'll be immune even to pain and suffering. It's so hard for us to live in the tension or wrestle with the idea that when Jesus comes, he doesn't immediately take away evil. Instead, he enters the world to conquer it in a very particular way. And like us, the people in this story in the Bible have to wrestle with this reality that even after the good news comes, evil still exists. That Herod is still causing pain and destruction on a mass scale. And one reason I think why Matthew includes this moment in the story is because it reminds the people of Israel of another time in their history when evil ruled. There are so many parts of this story that have a deep connection to a time when God's people were still in Egypt long ago and when Pharaoh was the ruler who was shaped by this kind of evil. More specifically, Matthew, the writer, is helping them to see that when they think of Herod, they should also think of Pharaoh. For the people of Israel, Pharaoh was symbolic of someone so shaped by evil that he tries to get in the way of God's plans because he refuses to soften his heart towards God's ways. And because he wants to remain at the center of the story and stay in control, he causes the same kind of pain and destruction on such a big scale. 
And for the people in the Christmas story, Herod now is a new kind of Pharaoh for them. He's a reminder that evil still exists in the world today. If you remember from uh, one of our teachings a few weeks ago, we talked about how Herod is the kind of king that was appointed by the Roman Empire to rule over the region where Jesus was, where Jesus was born. And at the time of his rule, Herod is known as Herod the Great. And he doesn't get this name because of any good deeds or because he's benevolent in any kind of way. In fact, he has a brutal reputation as a ruthless tyrant. And you can even go and uh, Google or look up some of the horrible things that he does, uh, actually, that aren't recorded in the Bible before this moment. Herod is a model of what it looks like to be so shaped by the wrong things that he gets in the way of the good news. He tries to stop it at all costs. That instead of letting the good news grow, he wants to destroy it. When he hears about Jesus, because this, this news of this new king is so inconvenient to his plans and is a threat to his current way of life, he tries to destroy him. Just like Pharaoh, he can't imagine bowing to another king. Just like Pharaoh, he can imagine a world where he's not the center of the story. And so once he realizes that he's been tricked by the the Magi, who are wise not to tell him where Jesus is, he does the same thing to the people of Israel that Pharaoh did long ago. He acts out of this kind of stubbornness and selfishness and jealousy that causes destruction. When you read this part of the story, when you think about Pharaoh, I think it's hard for you and I, or sorry, Herod, it's hard for you and I to relate to someone like Herod. But he's really meant to be a warning to each of us. He's a symbol for us that if we don't let God be the center of our lives, we can become like Herod. We may not be as bad, but we can still be shaped by the same kinds of things that keep the good news from growing more in us. We still live in a world where Herod's way of life is a tempting way to live. That whenever we feel threatened, or whenever things don't go according to our plans, we can be tempted to keep ourselves at the center instead of God. We can let things grow in us that are counter to the good news, that are counter to God's ways. Over time, we can let anger or bitterness or fear or jealousy or unforgiveness or selfish desires or even a way of hiding or lying rule our hearts. This moment of tragedy that's caused by Herod didn't just happen in a moment. It was a result of years of letting his heart be shaped by the wrong things, of being unwilling to give up control to let God be at the center. These past uh, couple weeks, for myself, as I reflected on my last few months, I realized I had a confession to make to God. I had to confess that I was letting my own bitterness take the place of God at the center of my life. As I reflected on the past months, I realized there were a few things that I was disappointed by, and instead of just taking that disappointment to God, to processing it with Him, to putting it before Him and 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 processing it in a healthy way, instead I tried to deal with it in my own way. And because of that, I became bitter towards God. I began to replace Him even with, with other things. I began to ignore Him. I tried to deal with my disappointment in my own way instead of putting Him at the center. And because of this, I was keeping, I realized I was keeping his good news from growing more in me. For all of us, as we kick off 2023, maybe this is just a moment for you and me to admit the things that have kept the good news from growing in each of us. 
Maybe it's just a moment for you to reflect on the way that you react when something doesn't go your way. To think about what you do with things that are out of your control. Do you bury that anger or fear or disappointment or whatever else it is? Or do you choose to be shaped by the kinds of things that, do you choose to keep, be shaped by the kinds of things that keep you at the center? Or are you learning instead to let God be at the center? Maybe for you, your commitment in 2023 is just to simply learn to take some of those things, to anger or disappointment or fear to God, instead of trying to deal with it in your own way, in a way that keeps you at the center. To realize that God even isn't distant in your pain or difficulty or disappointment. To choose to react by going to God instead of trying to replace him with something else. Part of why Matthew doesn't hide this part of the Christmas story is because it's such an important warning to us to not let the evil of this world shape our hearts in a way that keeps God from being at the center and that keeps his good news from growing in us. But another reason why I think Matthew highlights this connection for God's people uh, to their history from the time in Egypt long ago is because it's also a reminder that even though evil is still part of our world, God is still faithful. This story is a reminder to, to his people that God was still with him, with them and still faithful to them even in the midst of their time in Egypt long ago. That he was faithful in delivering them from oppression and evil at the hands of Pharaoh. And Matthew is, is saying this to show them that just as God was faithful in Egypt long ago, he will be faithful again in the face of Herod. He will not stop the good news of Jesus from growing and he will not stop his love and his goodness and his purposes and his ways from spreading and growing in and through his people. While Mary and Joseph are with Jesus in Egypt, after a long time passes, this is what happens next. It says, When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. We're not told by Matthew exactly how much time passes before Joseph gets this visit from the angel, but most scholars tell us it was likely at least a few years based on other uh, historical factors, and they likely only returned after traveling miles and living in this foreign land. And I don't know about you, but I wish we were given some kind of, kind of clue of what their life looked like while they were there in Egypt. I wish we had a sneak peek of maybe their conversations or their prayers for Jesus at this time. I wish even more than that we had a step-by-step -step guide for what it looks like to trust in God in moments like this. Some kind of roadmap, but we don't get any of that. But one thing we do know is that Joseph and Mary were shaped by and had the legacy of the Psalms and the stories from the Old Testament of how God had been faithful to his people from the very beginning, from their time in Egypt. They had this story and these prayers to remind themselves that just as God had been faithful to them before, he would be faithful to them again in fulfilling his promise of what he was now doing as this growing baby, or through this growing baby named Jesus. And one of the ways they would have reminded themselves of God's faithfulness in their years in Egypt was by celebrating the Passover. Maybe you've heard of it before, but Passover was a celebration they practiced each year so they would never forget how God was with them and was faithful to them in leading them out of Egypt and delivering them from Pharaoh. It was a reminder as they practiced this that he is always faithful and that he always will be. 
And they really, I think, model for us a practice that we can still do today, especially as we begin this next year, which is just to take some time to remember how God has been faithful to each of us this past year. As we begin 2023, would you just take some time on your own this week to practice that, to reflect on the ways that God has been faithful to you? If you take some time to do this, you might be surprised, actually, of what comes to mind, of the kinds of things that stir in you. Moments, maybe, that you forgot or, or ways that God was there and faithful that you didn't realize at the time, that you only realized later, that he was faithful through all those ups and downs. This is such an important practice for us as Christians, to remind ourselves to, and to learn to trust that God is faithful and his good news is growing in ways we don't always see or recognize. As we kind of begin to wrap up this morning, one of the ways we can practice this together is just by taking communion together, which we're going to do in a moment. I'm going to invite uh, the band, Jasmine Marius, to come up and, and play for us. Uh, and for Christians, really, when we celebrate communion, it isn't just something that Christians made up. It's not something that's only connected to what Jesus has done for us, but communion is actually connected to the Passover meal. It's a reminder that God has always been faithful, even long before the Christmas story. As we start this year together by centering ourselves on God at the table, we're choosing to center our worship on the same God who was faithful in Egypt and on the same God who then came in the person of Jesus to be God with us. In Jesus now, we choose to worship the one who is faithful, not by ignoring our pain, but by entering our world to suffer more than anyone else in history on the cross, in order to save us and to set us free just as God promised he would. And now together, as we center ourselves at the table, we celebrate that the good news of Jesus has come to us through that suffering, that because of what he's done, this good news can now grow in each of us as we learn to surrender to his ways. So as we transition to communion, we're going to sing a first firm foundation again, and as you sing, would you just recommit, take this time to recommit to making Jesus at the center of your life as you think of the year ahead, to committing to letting his good news grow whatever this year holds. Let's sing together. I invite you to stand and sing.
come to the table really gives us a choice as we think about Herod and as we think about Joseph and Mary. Gives us a choice. Would we be those who continue to be shaped or who are tempted to be shaped by the ways of Herod to react to the ups and downs of life by keeping ourselves at the center? Or will we learn to trust in God, to commit to trust in a God in a way that's like Joseph and Mary? to trust that he's with us, that he's growing something in us, even in all those ups and downs. As we prepare, uh, we're going to invite you just to um, come up in a moment. You can come as you feel led. The usher's going to kind of guide us in from outside to inside. And you can just pick up one of these cups and then go and sit back down. And uh, if, you're, if you're new here or this is new to you or you're not sure what this is all about, you don't feel ready yet to come up, that's okay. I just invite you to just stay seated. But if you are ready, maybe you're, you're baptized or maybe you're even at a point where you're, you know that baptism maybe is the next step for you, we want to invite you to come up when you're ready. And I just invite you that when you sit back down, you're going to wait uh, for inst- instructions as I lead us through communion. But when you sit back down, would you just take the time to think about, maybe to confess the things that would keep you from letting God's good news grow in you this year. To admit maybe that there are things that have gotten in the way that you need to now surrender at the table. I'm going to pray for us and then uh, come up as you feel led. Let's pray. God, as we begin 2023, we are hopeful and excited for what's to come. But God, at the same time, we want to take seriously what it means to commit to you in ways that even when hard times come, we're ready to trust in you. God, would you help us to commit to that? Thank you for the table this chance to practice worshiping with you at the center, to be reminded of how you've been faithful to us in the past and to trust that you'll be faithful to us again this coming year. God, as we just think of those things that get in the way, would you meet us there 
Would you remind us of your love and your forgiveness and your freedom as we come now to receive from you? So be with us and lead us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you feel it. now to receive communion together as we commit to this just this for this coming year we're reminded we remind each other that jesus alone is the one who can nourish and sustain us that while we will be tempted this coming year to let other things take the place of god at the center we are we are committing to be those who trust that he alone has the kind of strength kind of hope and peace and joy that we need for this coming season, whatever it holds. I'm going to ask you just to get ready by, uh, you could take, take the, the bread out on the top and hold on to that. Give you these words together. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering not only what I have done, but what I will continue to do in your life this year. Let's take the bread.
the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together. This week as I was preparing, I was thinking of the words that come right at the end of Matthew's gospel after Jesus has risen from the dead. He tells his disciples to go. Go and make disciples. Go and trust that I'm with you. And this is what he says, the last word in Matthew's gospel. He says, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. As we start 2023 together, in a moment we're going to pray, we are committing to, to keep the God at the center who's the God who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That he is faithful through all of the ups and downs that we face. That he cares about what's happening in the depths of our beings. That he's with us even more than we can understand. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you were the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that your good news is growing in each of us. Ways that we see and ways that we don't always get to see. God, help us as we think of the the year that's passed and as we look to what's ahead to trust in you, to trust in the things that you are doing and help us even to, to confess and admit the things that have gotten in the way. Would this be the year that we lay those aside, that we learn to surrender those things to you so that your goodness news can grow in us even more, that would be evident in our lives to those around us, to our kids and our neighbors and our coworkers. Would we be those who partner with you in spreading the good news and would you do that in and through us as we commit to keeping you at the center of our lives this coming year? Thank you that you are the God who has been with us in the past, that you were with us today more than we could even understand, and that you are the God who goes before us to lead and to guide us and to remind us that nothing is a surprise for you, that you can handle what's ahead, that you have a kind of strength for us and peace and joy that you want to grow in us more and more in the year ahead. Be with us as we go from here. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone. So special to be with you this morning. Really quick before you go, uh, next week we're starting our new series called Firm Foundation. Would you just make that one of the ways, the practices that together we continue to learn to keep Jesus at the center? Look forward to having you join us next week. Have a great week and a happy new year.